Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. I'm delighted to introduce this evening's event, Women of Abstract Expressionism. The programme of events around the Royal Academy's Abstract Expressionism exhibition have been an opportunity to reflect on the significance of one of the most important movements of the 20th century. We wanted to ensure that women within the movement were given their due recognition. There are the important female artists who are major players within um, abstract expressionism, and we wanted to take this opportunity to highlight their work and examine their impact and influence both then and now. There are also the women who played a key role in promoting the artists of the time and establishing abstract expressionism's place within the international arts market. We have a great panel here tonight, artists Claire Price and Vanessa Jackson, RA, and Gwen Transit from the Denver Art Museum, who's over especially from America and who has a current exhibition, Women of Abstract Expressionism, that is touring the US. I would now like to hand over to the curator and head of RA Schools, Eliza Bonham-Carter, who will be chairing tonight's event. Thank you. Thank you, Kira, and, uh, and good evening. It's great to have this opportunity to talk about women in this exhibition, and it's fantastic, Gwen, that you're here um, having just curated this, this show of Abstract Expressionist Women. The collection of art in the galleries next door is quite extraordinary in its scope and scale. It is the first time since 1959 that such a collection of abstract expressionist work has, has been brought together in the UK. The impact of that 1959 show, it can't be exaggerated, the impact of it on British art and British artists... Um, there are artists who left that exhibition never to paint the same again. So that's something that uh, we will kind of look at a little bit this evening. And although we know that abstract expressionism wasn't a term preferred by the artists who were part of uh, the movement, it has become a convenient indicator of, of a loose group of artists, um, of men and women over more than one generation, who, in the New York City version anyway, shared ideas, studios, friendship, love, debate, argument, um, who set up drinking clubs um, and discussion groups and cooperative galleries, and later showed um, at more commercial spaces, uh, such as those run by uh, Peggy Guggenheim and Betty Parsons. The movement transformed the subject, content and form of Art, but it also transformed attitudes around art um, and ideas about what the artist represented. What does the artist look like? And what form does their interaction with the world take? And, of course, this is very important when it comes to talking about the women. How useful were the ideas of abstract expressionists to women? Uh, did a movement that represented individualism, self-consciousness empiricism, rationality, self-reflection, uh, and a utopian notion of progress offer women something that they could work with. Or as Shirley Kaneda suggests, uh, that there was a problem there because uh, these universalist ideals veiled the masculine particularity of the conventions and the institutions within which these ideas were posited. Um, we will also look at what role the experience of women, abstract expressionists, what, what role they played um, as a precursor to the rise of, of, um, of kind of feminist thrust in art. We'll examine 
what this exhibition is telling us about the contribution of women to abstract expressionism as a phenomenon, a show in which six of 40 artists are women and 10 works over 165 in total. So it would be great, I think, now to turn to our speakers. Very pleased to welcome Gwen Transit, who's the curator of modern art and the Herbert Bayer Collection and Archive at the Denver Art Museum. She's a world expert on Bauhaus artist Herbert Bayer and has published several books and multiple exhibitions that highlight Bayer's wide-ranging artistic contributions. She's organised exhibitions on artists uh, ranging from Antis and Bonnard to Dana Schutz. Her current curatorial project, as mentioned, is Women of Abstract Expressionism, uh, which is opened at the Denver Art Museum and is travelling this year. Gwen is also Director of Museum Studies at the University of Denver on the Graduate Programme in Art History. I'm welcoming Vanessa Jackson also. Vanessa is a painter and an installation wall painter whose use of geometry and its three-dimensional function deny the supposed flatness of modernist space. She studied at St Martin's School of Art, followed by the Royal College of Art, and had her first solo show at the Air Gallery in 1981. Since then, she's shown her work internationally. Welcome, Vanessa. There's many other things that Vanessa has done, including a big role as, um, as a tutor in art schools, being head of painting at Winchester, um, and then uh, also a tutor at, and MA research tutor at the Royal College of Art, and then a number of years um, at the Royal Academy Schools in this very building. Um, and Claire Price um, is a painter living and working in London. Um, she studied at Central St Martins and then did her MFA at Goldsmiths. Um, she has shown nationally and internationally um, and um, has won numerous prizes. So welcome, all of you. Um, perhaps we could begin um, with a little bit of scene setting. Um, and I wonder, Gwen, if you could start by uh, introducing the movement and some of the women who were a part of it. Thanks very much. I first want to say that when I took my very first art history course back in the day, we won't say quite how long ago it was, the standard survey book in the U.S. was Horst Janssen's History of Art. Have any of you heard of that book? Yeah, it's a huge tome, but there were no women in the whole, in the whole book. I mean, this enormous book. And none of us realized it at the time. We were so busy learning names and dates and styles and all the rest. Um, all, the men, all the artists in that book were men. And it's unbelievable to think that there were no women included in Jansen's History of Art until the middle of the 1980s. So I was pleased earlier this week to see the Whitechapel Gallery's Gorilla Girls exhibition, which reminds us there's still gender inequality in the art world. Um, and I'd like to say that it's so interesting in this exhibition that's so beautiful uh, at the Royal Academy, it's still a very Pollock-centric exhibition. Um, and I think that's also kind of something we want to talk about. So I've been asked to mention the 12 artists in the exhibition that I curated at the Denver Art Museum that's now traveling. And because I always forget one of them, I'm going to read the list. <laughs> so there is Mary Abbott. Mary Abbott is still with us today, which is really wonderful to be able to talk to some um, artists who are still with us. Elaine de Kooning, Pearl Fine, 
Helen Frankenthaler, Judith Godwin, who still is working in New York, Grace Hartigan, Lee Krasner, Joan Mitchell, Ethel Schwabacher. Now, these were all New York-based artists. Of course, we know that um, Joan Mitchell spent a lot of time in France. And then the West Coast artists that really have not gotten their due. So we now have Jay DeFeo, who's very well known thanks to the big exhibition a few years ago at SFMOMA and the Whitney. And Sonia Getchtoff, who's a really interesting person because she's still working in New York, but she was a Bay Area artist, had great success in the Bay Area, and then when she moved to New York City, her career completely fell apart. She said she then understood the gender discrimination, the bias against women in New York, and then Deborah Remington, who actually did study directly with Clifford Still. Um, I just want to make one quote here of Lee Krasner. She says, I'm always going to be Mrs. Jackson Pollock. That's a matter of fact. I painted before Pollock, during Pollock, after Pollock. I'm going to turn this over to someone else now. Um, Thank you, Gwen. I'm wondering, Vanessa, if you could um, say something about um, uh, the women that have been mentioned and if there are if there, in particular, if there are there are women um, that you want to pull out, um. mm. well, yes, one would talk about the artists who are actually in this exhibition, um, and I think one, I'm going to preface it by saying it's amazing that we've got this exhibition, that we've got so much amazing work to see, and from then on, I'm probably going to sound a little critical, but that is not to say that my I, I'm going to be honest. I'm I'm a huge fan of David Smith. He should have had a whole room and not be up against paintings all over the shop, you know, in and so far as you can't see them, clearly. Um, I walked around the corner into the Clifford Still room, and I nearly welled up, because it's got one painting that is just so superb on the right-hand side, orange, blue, orange, I'm not titles, because it's called PP28 or something, crap. Anyway, but anyway, um, but I mean, there's lots to say about a brilliant show, and from now on I'm going to say, as Ad Reinhardt would have said, less is more, far too much, not hung in a way that's going to give you the experience it should give you, far too high. Um, I'm really pleased and in fact honoured to be sitting beside this lady because she's done something for us, you know, which is kind of important and perhaps we can only look at it in Vimeo and, 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 the, and the wonderful book that's upstairs. But of course, the, the major omission is Grace Hartigan. It doesn't make any sense to have an exhibition of this size and scale, etc. Where is Grace Hartigan? I mean, she's a name that I knew, and admittedly, I'm a 70s babe. I think you're a 60s one. That's right. Um, I came to London in 71 when apparently Women's Liberation arrived, but actually earlier in the year, but I arrived too. Um, and, and it was vastly important to kind of think about where we were in the world in a sort of feminist point and it's fascinating that this exhibition could have been in 1971 that it hasn't moved forward that we are not looking at an exhibition through the the longer lens that actually has had a huge amount of time to decide for itself and so Grace Hardigan's missing enormously but there were artists who I really like like Pearl Fine um, I mean there's a whole bunch of them that are in your book and they're and in your show, but, in, but it's, it is extraordinary, and instead we have to have an awful lot of work where we could have had less um, of the great quality of the male artists, and we could have had more shows of women, of the showing of women. Could, could you say something, Vanessa, about um, back in 71, when okay. you arrived to be an art student? Okay. And what, um, 
Like what, what abstract expressionism represented yeah. at that at that moment? Well, it was the it was the it was the background. If you were coming into the you know, early seventies, it was the background. It was it wasn't art history. Now I think perhaps for quite a lot of you now, although I'm looking around, um, for some of you now, it would seem like it's art history. Actually, it wasn't art history. It was just there, and it had been. There were things that happened, a lot more conceptual work, perhaps, and there was a minimalist stuff too. But it was really close. It was, re and a lot of them, of course, were still alive and painting, and we were still seeing new stuff. Um, certainly, de Kooning, um, and the influence was all of my tutors at St Martin's um, were abstract expressionists in their way, and there was one woman, and that was Gillian Ayres, who I include. Um, but I have to say that it was all about making grand statements and I can remember, as you can see occasionally, yeah, here's one, I'm a, I was sort of began to work with geometry and I began to want something kind of cooler, which is probably more to do with Ellsworth Kelly and, um, and um, looking back at the constructivists and the women in Popova and people like that. But I was trying to kind of fit in, just like you can see Joan Mitchell and other people, fitting in. What, what would you do up against that? So you fitted in. What did I do? I got a big squeegee out. I made my big geometry, but it had drips attached. I mean, it was a kind of like you had to try and fit in, even though at the end of the day, when John Hoyland came up or John Walker came up, would say to the group in the studio, anybody want to play pool? And guess what? That meant the boys. Hmm. So things didn't change as much as they should. I can rant on for hours, so... <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I heard a male tutor refer to the female students as the typing pool in my, in my life. But um, um, Claire, you uh, come from a slightly different generation. Um, yeah. And I wonder uh, what the difference might be uh, between, say, you and Vanessa in terms of what abstract expressionism kind of was by the time you arrived at art school. Yeah, we had a really interesting discussion about this the other day, actually, because I arrived at St Martin's in 1990. And I'd been on an art foundation up north that was all about throwing buckets of paint at canvases. It was, it was amazing, and, it was, uh, and I loved it. And then I arrived at St Martin's in 1990, and painting was, like, verboten, like, completely. It was just very... I mean, it was a strange transitional period with the beginning of the YBAs, um, but it was all about kind of reading Baudrillard and, um, you know, doing very cool conceptual work. And actually, although I did paint throughout my degree and I went to Berlin for a year of it and I always painted, I actually didn't really have the confidence to continue painting when I left art school in 93. And the other difference was that Vanessa talked about her art school experience as being sort of steeped in feminist and Marxist discourse. And that was completely absent in... 1990. That, that it was, wasn't the studio teachers, I would say. No, yeah. but just in the air, maybe. So, yeah, it was... Um, but for me, the abstract expressionists were uh, this... It was art history. It was completely compelling. I, I am still obsessed with them. And I see it as this kind of... I don't know. I have a... Yeah, I'm kind of... I'm not... Uh, I'm just sort of in love with that period. I always have been obsessed by it. But But over time have learned more and more about the women because they were... I didn't really know about Joan Mitchell till I saw the Hauser and Worth show in 2008 when I think they bought the estate. And she's one of the more prominent women, so, you know, that's how problematic it is. But, yeah. Um, 
so Vanessa's um, done her little curatorial intervention in the show. What, who would you who would you put in there uh, from the women? Absolutely, Grace Hartigan, who's as, as well. Um, I mean, I I was really interested when I they're not in your the Denver show. And I talked about them before, but I was really interested in Alma Thomas, who's an African American. Um, who's in the catalogue, but not in, in the, the exhibition? Yeah. Yes. And um, she's an African-American painter who we were talking about earlier, the Obamas curated into the White House in there. Yes. And she worked in Washington, D.C., so she really wasn't part of the group, but absolutely her painting is spectacular yeah. um, abstract painting. And there's a show right now, maybe it's closed already, at the Studio Museum in Harlem. Beautiful show. Amazing. But I would also put Bernice Bing in the show, who's a Asian-American a lesbian artist who's sort of had done a, has a real legacy in terms of queer artists of colour in America, so that's kind of really interesting. But she was completely overlooked at the time in this sort of heteronormative like landscape, I suppose. And she's in the catalogue as well, and she was a discovery to me. Susan Landauer is the one who introduced me to Bernice Bing. Yeah. I'm wondering what the situation, what were the conditions for women... Um, in the 40s and 50s. I'm not sure, I've got a slight sense that maybe the 40s were easier than the 50s, but, but maybe you could tell us something a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting, the question always comes up, you know, why have these women been ignored or at least, um, you know, not given the same recognition? And I think we have to remember the position of women in the 1950s, at least in the US, was not a very happy place. Women only got the vote in 1920, and um, I think women always pushed their men ahead. I think that's just part of the way it was. And then, of course, this lopsided history of art that I've already alluded to. Um, they just came of age in a, in a very different time. And, um, you know, I also would say that I don't think the gallerists were really... It wasn't like all the women together um, trying to support the sisterhood. It just wasn't true in those days. And so Betty Parsons, for example, at one point, Jackson Pollock wanted her to show... Lee Krasner, and she said, I don't show husbands and wives. I mean, there, and then, you know, you have Hans Hoffman, who, um, who said to Lee Krasner about one of her paintings, Lee, this painting is so good, you wouldn't know it was done by a, man, by a woman. So, I mean, you know, you, you just have to put yourself back in that time. The women were exhibiting, um, certainly the Ninth Street Show in 1951, the Stable Gallery annuals, but they didn't have the same kind of clout. And it is interesting when you look at the women even who are in this show, how many of them were tied to a man. So you have uh, you know, Pollock, of course, with Lee Krasner. Um, by the way, Janet Sobel, I thought, was a really interesting um, person to put in this exhibition. I can understand why she was of great interest both to Pollock and also to the Surrealists who always liked outsider art, but I wouldn't call her an abstract expressionist, and I would, would agree with Vanessa that I would rather have seen Grace Hartigan uh, in the exhibition. Um, I think sometimes we're trying to you know, rewrite some of these things as, as well. But the interesting thing is that this particular period style, I mean, all of, of our history was, was um, not giving women the fair shake, but this particular one was known as being macho. It was all about the, the paint-splattered man. And I think, of course, of all that tape we have of Jackson Pollock and, and the myth of, of this man. And, and, and I think that's another reason why the women didn't get 
their fair due um, in the history of this particular movement. So women did participate in exhibitions. Um, they did, uh, um, you know, go to the Cedar Bar. They they did a lot of the things that the men were doing, but they did not get. They studied with Hans Hoffman. They just didn't get recognized. And, and, and could I just say, I think that's really interesting because one of the things I'm, I, I'm very, I'm kind of, I don't know, this is, might be something I've been doing since I've been researching a little bit about this a bit more. But the, a lot of them, the number of women who were, in, were taught by Hans Hoffman, um, okay, I'm going to get it all wrong, but it's, a, it's Elaine de Kooning, it's, um, it's Lee Krasner, Lee Krasner it's, a, sure. it's, a, it's quite a long list. And, okay, albeit that he said, the quote. Um, oh, he said, it, Lee, this painting is so good, I can't believe it was yeah. done by a woman. Well, I, or I, no one would know it was done by a woman, I, something to that effect. I had stuff like that from John Hoyland, so hey, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, so it's, you know, but, okay, but what's interesting, I've got a little sort of, um, it's a little sort of thought, but I think um, because Hoffman, who is not shown so well upstairs as he I should have been, I agree with you. Very, very influential teacher and had a very different kind of take. Hoffman's love of I think one would say Matisse is absolutely overt. And there's something about the way he's thinking about colour and light and space, which I, th I think is much more to do with that. And, and that the push character. and the pull. Push and the pull. And, of course, most of the guys, and here we go back to Pollock, they're looking at, at Picasso. And there's that amazing early Pollock painting in the first room, which is absolutely, I don't know, Picasso. It's the, it's the, it's Damoiselle d'Avignon. It's all sorts of things. The, the male it? and the, female? The, yeah, male mm -hmm. and female. I'm it's like the three dancers. Yeah, three funny. dancers, yeah. all of those. But the, the, you know, it's a bit like the guys are taking on kind of Picasso. I mean, they have to be taking on something because these Matisse and Picasso are literally behind them. Um, but the guys are taking on Picasso and the women are kind of looking at Matisse, who is not the kind of same machismo, et cetera, et cetera. And there's something very interesting, I think, happening, not, I can't make this go right across the thesis, but there's a lot of sensibility and touch, and certainly Lee Krasner, which is much more looking at Matisse and thinking that way through, and a kind of delicacy, which is, as much as it's expressionist, it's kind of contained and sensitive, and I would even say gentler. I don't mean about size, I mean about touch. So is this just an I have to just say one thing. We have a painting in the traveling exhibition. It's by Grace Hardigan, and it's called The King is Dead. It's 1950, and the king is Picasso. Mm. You know, we are new. That's interesting, isn't it, in terms of... I was, there's a really great book called Wet, which is on, um, written in the 80s on painting and feminism, but that talks about the matrilineage and the patrilineage. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong, but, you know, it's... The, 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 we're talking still there referring back to these other male artists and that's why it's so important that these people are brought out and, and as well sort of re, you know, the re-engagement with sort of uh, more ephemeral feminist works and performances from the 70s that people are kind of really um, sort of you know, rediscovering now because it's so important that, that because that matrilineage was absent, wasn't it? The women did not support each other. I just want to make that pretty clear. Um, I don't know if you remember when Hillary Clinton was running and, Matt, and uh, um, um, Albright made some comment about there's a special place, I shouldn't repeat this, but something like there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. Mm. And uh, Madeleine Albright had said that at one point. And, and I think maybe this is not unusual. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a. I mean, I think the men do make their clubs, and let's let's face it, the Cedar Bar, the the, the boys out there together. I think women 
often find it more difficult to make their club to find out to, to do to do that. But I also think it's there's I mean there's unfortunately there are there's a generational thing here and we were talking about it and I won't name names because quite a lot of them are alive and it's sort of <laughs> it comes from sort of Thatcher downwards in our country which is absolutely about sort of going it yourself and never ever saying feminism helped me get here you know yeah. and it's and and they're still around and this is this is crucial and quite quite worrying yeah and I think actually uh, having just come out of an MFA myself uh, um, at college I think I'm really lucky because I think we I've have other female artist friends and we do support each other and I think when women support each other that is a very very powerful thing but it, it has historically been more that men do that and, and women don't don't support each other um, yeah so I think there's hopefully those those things are changing but I think also somebody said something the other day about how some contemporary artists had never owned the feminist thing and now it's more fashionable to they're suddenly kind of grasping at it which is kind of interesting as well yeah. I think and, and I do go ahead I do worry about just being feminist I don't I mean I think one of the things that I found when I was putting this exhibition together it was never my intention to show the women of abstract expressionism I took a look around and I thought who'd been left out of the canon and it was either men of color or women and so when one does an exhibition and one tries to focus, it seemed that this was long overdue. But I think, you know, we're not trying to deny the men of this movement. We're trying to write the canon, get it a little more inclusive. Could I ask Vanessa, you know, developed a little thesis there about a kind of difference, perhaps, between an approach, an abstract expressionist approach by women as opposed to men. Is there anything that um, you, Claire, or... Gwen, you would like to say that further to that? Well, Gwen said something really interesting earlier um, about titles. And something that really interests me about the women is the erasure of their life stories as well as the absence of the, the work. Um, and I'm, very, I'm personally very interested in how painting can kind of contain a life experience. But there is... We talked about the, the generosity in the women entitling the work and leading you in to their experience, I guess. So I suppose I'm not talking about formal things particularly, although I, I do feel somehow instinctively that even though they can be quite aggressive, that a Joan Mitchell painting does feel like a female painting or it, that it's made by yeah. a female body in some way. I, 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 I could add to that because I'm, I've always been interested in the notion of gesture mm. and I was extremely pleased when I was a student that Patrick Heron, who was quite important to us here... Um, actually said to me, um, gesture can happen between two colours, because I was caught in this sort of maelstrom of it had to be... Mm. But I think it's really interesting in the artists that we're looking at that are in this show, and I think it's apparent in others, that there's this, you know, Clifford still contains his gesture, but then so does, I think, Joan Mitchell, and I think Pearl Fine. I think there's a... Sorry, that's me, but, you know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, it's... Um, it, I think there's a, there's a kind of uh, a way in which it isn't... A, it isn't um, something we're not allowed to use, which is um, a certain kind of... Something we called pea painting back in the day, which we don't call it now, because we can't use that word. But <laughs> let's, let's refer to the faucet. Um, but, I mean, the difference was that actually there was a, a sort of containment... 
And it's, it fascinates me that, that's, that you can sort of see it, and that a lot of the women turn to collage. Mm. Now, that's a form of containment. It might go back to the roots that they were looking at, which was cubism in some instances, but it also is this thing about wanting to somehow have a little control over this world, not in a way that was, you know, total um, repetition and pattern, which comes later, but actually a sense that one can orchestrate the way in which one's sensitivity is given, but actually slightly um, controlled. It's interesting. Pearl Fine is a name. She's right up there, if I can find, up there with the cigarette in her mouth. But when you see her on film, she's very dainty and proper. But at any rate, Pearl Fine is such an interesting personality for me because she was so part of what was going on. She lived on 10th Street. She moved to the Hamptons. Her husband was the photographer, Maurice Berezov, who photographed all these people. They were good friends with Pollock and Krasner. She was friends with, with Krasner late in life. We don't know her name. And she was very inventive in collage. She even used um, all kinds of iridescence in her, in her collage. And there's a picture of her somewhere you're going to see where she's painting on the floor. You know, what is this myth about painting on the floor? You did whatever you needed to do to get the paint on the canvas that you were working on. We've talked a little bit about the machismo, if you like, of abstract expressionism. And now we're talking a little bit about containment and collage. Um, does size matter? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I wanted to dispel several of the myths of the women that they only painted small. When you do see, a, I think there's a, sh a shot into the gallery uh, in Denver. Um, they're huge paintings. So I wanted to dispel that myth. And it's interesting that in this show, there were a number of very small Pollocks and, and other things, four in a grid on one small wall. So I don't know about that. But um, I, I do want to say that in addition to, the, to this myth of them only painting small, um, this notion of first generation, second generation that we had talked about, um, I guess we had a little preview discussion before this. And Perhaps it, you'd like to just briefly... Yes. What, explain more. Okay, so a lot of people have really talked about first generation abstract expression is second generation. And of course, guess where the women are? So it's interesting to me, back in 1957, um, Irving Sandler, who I do consider to be the expert of abstract expressionism, um, who is still in New York, um, he, he did an article called Mitchell Paints a, Painter, Paints a Painting. And in 1957, Mitchell was very content to be called second generation. So my, and she was pretty early. So my question is, what does second generation mean? And I think it's yet one more way of calling them followers, calling them painting small, as, as you began this, this little discussion with. It's certainly not chronological. And, and I think the largest painting in the show is the Joan Mitchell, in this show. And it's stuffed into a kind of corner with a little nod to Hoffman to the left, and a strange end room. I mean, it's a beautiful painting, but it's literally, it is, the, I think it's the biggest painting, but it's not given the space that it should have. And, and it's absolutely orchestrated in a really very particular, all the way through, very quiet moments, loud moments, you know, but it's, it's an amazing painting. I would say that, you know, um, uh, for, my, for my generation, that abstract expressionism, if we have to call it that, um, uh, was 
fundamentally about having the aspirations to go large, not, nothing to do with men or women, just allowing the fact that you could actually take on space. And now we're very used to talking about the body. And we talk about the body perhaps more, more sort of phenomenologically and sort of with lots of intellectual overtones, blah, blah, blah. But actually we are an active, it's an active thing to be a painter. Well, whatever kind of painter you are, it's an act, act and it's an active thing. It's the to and fro from you and the space, the canvas, etc., etc. And, you know, I'm very grateful that I was, for all the fact I could have sort of throttled some of my very um, heavy male art tutors, I was very grateful for the fact that they gave me and I had the space to take that ambition on. And it's very difficult now. And it's difficult now because uh, it, there is a sort of different, a kind of slight um, uh, political thing about it you know, about the big painting, uh, and also because art students don't have enough space to do it in this country, uh, let alone the or money. In, or in our country. Or yeah, yeah, sure. And um, so it, I will, you know, I will bless them for doing that, but I never think of it as being male or female. I think my, you know, I like the lovely paint, like the, the work with the woman who, uh, the, 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 the one who loved the dance that the, she worked with... Um, oh, Judith Gadwin. Judith, Judith Gilman. Who you knew know, Martha Graham. And Martha Graham and all that stuff. I mean, you know, that, that's a fantastic mm-hmm. couple of images up there. And that whole thing about, you know, movement and, and the body is absolutely what we do. And I don't mean that in a gestural way. I just mean literally us and the space. And they gave us that. We also yeah. should mention that the size came out of some of the some of it came out of the WPA muralist yeah. uh, tradition that yeah. Lee Krasner of course was in way before Pollock was. No, I was going to say talking about scale talking about someone like Katerina Grosser now mm. who's just works Fabulous. you know beyond the canvas huge mm. scale her female body with the spray can and she sort of talks about owning owning that and that's kind of you know that's amazing because that's sort of the legacy in a way isn't it. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of bodily thing that you're talking about can is very much in line with talk about you know the female body and it shouldn't be it shouldn't just be seen as a macho thing. And I think this is a slight aside. A lot of the things are about the documentation of the artists and the beginning of the f- photographs in the studio that kind of really made solid that idea that it was a macho thing. But it, it wasn't particularly. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of owned in the media in that way at that time. Um, and there's a great, um, brilliant lecture by Erica Doss that was to do with your show. That's wonderful. And she talks about the kind of, you know, post-war America taking on ideas of gendered ideas of power and authority and kind of ha- how the kind of abstract expressionists, they kind of almost levered the imagery and the myth into that, um, that sort of, yeah, heteronormative idea of, of the new America or something. I wanted to mention that Caterina Grossa did a four-story installation in our atrium, and her brother was her assistant, so we don't want to talk about gender uh, inequality anymore. <laughs> but that, of course, um, this period does come immediately after the war, where women are being put back into the home yes. in order to give men the jobs Absolutely. that the women have been doing while the war's been rolling. So, And then it's that, in a sense, that makes me wonder if the 40s were easier for some of the women, because because those things haven't quite taken hold in the same way as they had well, they had by the 50s. Well, you're right. We did have Rosie the Riveter who could do it all. Indeed. You're absolutely yeah. right. And you're, you're absolutely correct that, that it was a problem, I think, for the women to step aside for yeah. the men. Yeah. I wonder, I suppose I wonder how, I mean, you've, you've quoted um, 
you've given us one quote of a, of a woman kind of recognising her position. And we know, you know, what happens, you know, by the late 60s and the rise of a kind of, a kind of very overt feminism. But I wonder how, um, how much evidence there is of these women um, resisting the kind of boundaries being put on them. There's another quote, I hope I can get this right, by Ethel Schwabacher. She does a painting, she has a painting called Antigone One, and um, she says, was this uh, Antigone, you know, um, the result of, uh, I'm not going to get this right at all, but it's, it's you know, the fact that, uh, um, that, that women should be stepping aside um, and, and let their men... I'm sorry, I'm not going to get you this quote right. I used to know this by heart, but the exhibition has already been traveling and I'm on to other things. But, <laughs> but she says, you know, is, is the story that, that women are less valued than men and we should, we should, you know, give ourselves in favor of men, um, of course, with the story of Antigone. Um, so I think they knew at the time. What, what about this one, the Grace Hartigan quote? The great oh. Grace, which is... Um, asked if a male artist ever told her. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, a male artist ever told her she painted like a man. She replied, not twice. Yes, yes, oh, that's yeah. absolutely that's it. She, one, she was not afraid to say any a, of it. A tuppy, yeah. And um, we've mentioned um, Betty Parsons and Peggy Guggenheim. They did show women. Yes. Um, they also showed men. They, you know, they, um, what about the critics? What about um, Greenberg? What about um, Harold Rosenberg? I mean, what was their what was their attitude? And I think Greenwood was very rude to Grace Hartigan, wasn't he? And she kind of I can't remember the exact quote, but she kind of came back with, you know, I'm just as have some just as much seriousness as yeah. a man, and I don't believe that, you know, I, I'm standing in front of a rag in a studio, you know, wondering what to do with it. I don't believe that a man is going to do that any different. But yes, Hartigan said that, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I suppose, um, I know that Frankenthaler had a relationship with Greenberg, didn't mm-hmm. she? Which probably yes. softened yes. it. But yeah. It's also interesting, in working on this project, how many women we've never heard of were all in the circle of, let's put it that way, Rosenberg and Greenberg. Greenberg. And um, I, I found it interesting, there are even a few women who are not in the catalogue, and there's 41 artists in the catalogue, and I met some of their children, and sure enough, they had photographs of their mother, some of which had been hidden away in the family, but I think they were absolutely, the women were part of that circle. Well, I mean, there's a, we were talking about earlier about the 31 artists yes. that Peggy Guggenheim showed in 1943. Women, 43, th- yeah. In 43, 31 women artists, and as you said, they were They were surrealists, surrealists. mostly. But of course, that actually is one of the routes that came yes. forward. And the very first room in the well, second, sorry, the second room in the exhibition upstairs is the you know, amazing Gorky room, which is yes. beautiful. And that, that was... I mean, that was absolutely the way that I think a great number of my contemporaries and in the late 60s, 70s, where how you became, how you moved towards abstraction, and it was Gorky, and Gorky's influence on, 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 on the rest. But if it was that these women were mostly surrealists, they probably did all move on into something else, just like everybody else did, and yet suddenly they just dissipate. And I mean, Peggy Guggenheim is obviously... Of great character, but watching a, I don't know if anybody, any of you saw this amazing film that was on mm-hmm. the telly and it's been around yeah. and around since um, 
um, in its interview with a woman after her biography. Was it in the 80s or something? When was it? Um, it's Peggy Guggenheim, Art Addict, or Confessions yeah. of an Art Addict. Or it's amazing. Like I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it again, and I'm not going to accuse you as a curator. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I am still fascinated by the fact that women um, are flattered by men, and very often by younger men. And yet again, you know, you see it then, you see it throughout history, and I don't think it's particularly changed, yeah. because we can still do the thing. I used to do it in the 70s and 80s, where there was a group show, and I'd count up how many men, how many women. Um, I would look out for the fact that there was a, a group of us who were not as good as Gorilla Girls, but we called ourselves Sweet Fanny Adams, and there were people <laughs> that were much more involved than me. And you'd count it all up. And... You'd go, Bridget Wiley, she's had three one-person shows and they were all at the Hayward and they didn't show any other. You know, you just do this sort of stuff. And then you sort of stop doing it because you thought things have got better. Um, but I still think there's this, there's this very strange problem. You know, I'm people, not a, you people know. are still doing that in Denver, at mm. least in, in New York. I wanted to mention, you mentioned Gorky. Ethel Schwabacher was a protege of, of Gorky's. Yeah. And um, she's the one who had Antigone one, and I think she said was you know was the result of this Greek teaching Antigone one that women should be should be giving themselves in favor of men, and that men were so much more important. Um, she was someone who really um, I think was a wonderful painter, and uh, she wrote the first biography of Gorky as well, and they were pretty well off, and I think she and her husband helped support him. So Gorky, of course, a very important transitional Sorry. figure. Yeah. And, and the other artist that he was, um, he was, of course, he was, um, um, who, was the, who was the other one? Corinne Michelle West? Oh, yes, oh, Corinne yeah. West. Who was known um, as Michael, Michael known West. Known as Michael yeah. West. Just like, just, like, um, just, just like Grace Hartigan called herself That's George. Right. That's you know, right. Elaine de Cooney called herself E.K. I mean, yeah. do not think yeah. of me as a woman. If I could have done done. a 13th artist... Yeah. For me, it was important that each artist in our exhibition had her own space, but um, Michael West would have been right up there, yeah. probably the 13th artist. Yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah, fantastic, yeah. So going back to the... I'm thinking about um, the critics still, and I'm thinking about authority. So obviously they are, you know, full of it. Um, but they also, they also sort of give it, don't they? They give... Um, and there is a moment between, with figura you know, with the return of figuration or the re-emergence of a kind of figurative reference um, that occurs in Hartigan's work, I believe, um, which is she's very castigated for by Greenberg. Um, and then, could we talk a little? But bit Guston about? got castigated for doing yes, it. Yes, and did. somehow that's okay. And excuse me, what about Kooning? I mean, well, you well, know, it it's interesting, isn't it? Who is allowed and who isn't yeah. allowed to do it? But I believe you know? in the in the fifty nine show, uh, Hartigan is reinstated. She's the only woman, I think. Yeah. yeah. And she's reinstated, having been expelled. She's reinstated, and I think that's post Kooning, because yeah. of because of his. Yeah, post post so, his, the arrival of yeah. the more figures. But that's Alfred bent. Barr, and I think Alfred Barr probably oh, you know was yeah. one of the good boys as opposed to. Yeah. You know. They had just they had bought it a heart again. So of course, when he travelled around Europe, he included her work. Yes, I'm confusing the show with he Greenberg admitted her back in his critique. Ah, okay, yeah. not into the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's changed? I mean, this is this is an interesting um, moment. We we've, we've talked about this exhibition here and um, perhaps the way in which it does and doesn't acknowledge the way in which the world has changed. Um, but but um, what, 
what has changed now? What, where, does, where does abstract expressionism sit now today? And, um, and, what, and what has changed for women? And what are the, what are the differences now? Do we, do we see a... Claire, maybe you're um, in a good position to... I mean, I think there is a huge re-engagement with painting. I think things like the Big Frankenthal show in New York and, and uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, students seeing this show. There is, you know, there is a huge um, fascination with it again and it's, and it's not forbidden. And also people are dealing with painting within uh, just the stretcher, but they're also doing things like there's a show on at the moment where somebody's used their body as the canvas. You know, there's expanded forms of painting and people are very much engaged with it and um, Vanessa and I were talking about sort of people na now, uh, people like Jutta Kurta who has an expanded practice, Katerina Gross, uh, Phoebe Unwin, Charlene von Hale, so it's sort of very much um, alive but I do think that a lot of the, the things that we're talking about with these women, obviously things have moved forward in a way but they haven't as well and I was kind of um, reminded of a really great performance that I never saw, I didn't see but it was it sounded brilliant by somebody called Nina Wakeford and she had just um, brought a number of women to a private view at a gallery that I think had like one represented female artist so they showed hardly any and during the course of the private view the women all just started to cry and this was sort of you know a sort of sign of resistance but you know I, I you know, I think, you know, if you look at the market, you know, women artists are are not going to be worth as, as much as men. It's, you know, it's not... It, it is a very male-dominated, patriarchal field. I, I'm sure you agree. I don't know. I want to say that in the beginning of this project, I first got the bullfight of Elaine de Kooning that you just saw a minute ago. 131 inches wide. I don't know what that is in terms of all of your measurements, because we never got with the program. But it's, it's huge. And once I was able to acquire that, I thought, you know, these paintings are not as expensive as the men, and I'm going to start collecting them while we still can. So to date, I've now acquired for the Denver Art Museum about 12 women abstract expressionist paintings. And um, I'm hoping to get this one. It belongs to a private collector. <laughs> but in any event, um, it is interesting what you say. The prices are still not the same. No. This one's in our collection now. It was a gift. But I don't, I, it is very interesting. We have not caught up in the market. Vanessa? I'm just thinking about the difference, you know, the difference in which, you know, how the teams work, you know, how the, how the male team works, how the female team works. And, and you know, is it because um, I would suggest, uh, this may be completely wrong because we can always think of particular individuals, you know, that we still, you know, women are still quite happy to have the work in front of themselves. And that they don't want to have to stand beside it and sort of be the performer that says, this is me and this is how I do it and look at me. Um, I would suggest that that's quite that's quite normal, and I think, and uh, until we sort of, I, I don't want to become one of the boys. And one of the, I mean, I love Mary Heilman, who could get a mention in a as a contemporary sort of abstract expressionist in a way, and 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 West Coast as well as East Coast. Um, but you know, she's in her seventies, and when asked, you know. You know, how did you feel about how it was back in the day when you were blah, blah, blah? She said, I loved being just one of the girls, being the only girl amongst the boys. And it's sort of frightened to me that that, that could be said, that she could say that. Um, but I'm, 
I, I just think that uh, this is politics. I'm, in a, I'm a feminist and an artist. I'm not sure when I was a young woman I called myself a woman artist. I think I probably didn't. I didn't want to be in separatist shows. I've only recently been in shows, or in the last 10 or so years, been in shows that all women, and that's because there's been a particular kind of issue. Because I refused to be in them back in the day. That was our politics. But as a feminist and as a woman, uh, in the bigger world, I think women like to work in teams. They enjoy the collegiate notion that you don't have to own the idea. You could share the idea. And I'm still going to say that the male ego is libido-driven, and it's still called pea-painting out there. <laughs> <laughs> we need to draw to a close. So thank you very much, Vanessa. Thank Graham. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.